Hello there. Welcome back to Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. This is episode 78, is what we got here. And today, we're continuing our watch-through of uh, the Revenge of the Sith and the Siege of Mandalore. Today we watched uh, the 25th 5-minute mark to the 15-minute 19-second mark of Revenge of the Sith. Um, and we also watched The Phantom Apprentice, the second episode in the Siege of Mandalore. Um, and we're really excited to discuss both. But before we do, I thought um, uh, Jake and I had a great little Star Wars experience the other day that I thought we might want to shed some light on. Um, if you haven't seen by twi our Twitter, Jacob and I, a few days ago, at the time of recording this, we were at Disneyland in Anaheim. We got to experience Galaxy's Edge for the first time. Jacob, what were your thoughts at seeing Batu, seeing Galaxy's Edge, being on Star Tours again in Tomorrowland, and just being on the, both the rides in uh, in Batu and Galaxy's Edge? Man, it was it was pretty remarkable, I have to say. Um... You know, obviously, I've I've gone to Disneyland a couple times. You know, living in living in Southern California, gone to Star Tours, been there, done that. But um, always great to go on that. For me, very nostalgic. Um, I really love the way it's just of it's a stark contrast to um. It, it's a very stark contrast to Galaxy's Edge Star Tours. It's just it's just dripping in that shiny, brightly colored um kind of prequel aesthetic maybe not brightly colored but yeah very very shiny very nice looking um, and Batu has that emphasis aesthetic. yeah Batu Batu is the exact opposite has an emphasis on being immersive and yeah. i i have a quote from you literally um right after we got off of galaxy's edge right now um where is it we traveled through hyperspace so hard that we traveled back in time Yes, that is what I said. That is what I said after we got off of uh, of Star Tours. Um, but I still have a lot of love for Star Tours. Oh, me too. Very nostalgic. I love the prequel aesthetic. I love how it feels like a feels like a throwback to how everything was kind of focused on that side of the game back when I was originally getting into Star Wars. Um, but oh my goodness, Galaxy's Edge! Wow, the moment I walked in there, I knew that that this was just something something else entirely. You know, I. I had previ I previously said that um, I wish it had been a different era. Um, you know, that's that's neither here nor there, though. Obviously, that's just a choice that they made. You know, with them kind of being in sequel mode right now, it definitely makes a lot of sense for this to kind of be cr cross promoting um, with the sequels. Um, I previously had wished that it was on a a previously established planet, but I have absolutely zero complaints. I mean. Whatever you think about Disney and Galaxy's Edge, the way they run things, the one thing I think that is indisputable is just the amount of attention to detail, the granularity, the immersiveness that they put together with the with the set design, the buildings, all the props. It's it's incredible. Every last corner feels like it's pulled right off of a Star Wars set. It's it's pretty remarkable for that. It is it is pretty darn remarkable. Yeah, I never it, thought that as a little kid. I never thought that we would get something this uh, immersive and insane in our lives. So yeah. And by the way, for those of you who have not been to Galaxy's Edge, um, 
there are going to be some like light spoilers for stuff um, in this conversation. Just saying, I mean, I know Galaxy's Edge has been around for um, a few years now, but again, a few days ago was the first time we were there, so I don't want to assume. Um, but like, you know, on Rise of the Resistance, I was thinking, walking on that First Order Star Destroyer was life-changing. Like, it felt like I was literally walking in the Star Wars universe. I, I could not believe that. Yeah. It was, it, it was pretty remarkable. And I mean, yeah, especially, I think, um, I mean, I mean, the Smuggler's Run, Smuggler's Run was pretty cool. But to me, I wasn't, I wasn't that taken by it. It just felt like a bit of a, it just felt like a, a slightly evolved version of Star Tours. But oh my gosh, Rise of the Resistance, that was that was something else. Like they went all out. You could really tell that this was the latest and greatest technology. Um, what do they what do they call it? Imagineering, I think. Yeah, imagineering. Um, like it really just is. It, they, they, it, they, it's really just on another level. They did their due diligence with, with Rise of the Resistance. So it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I think the rides, you know. It's, it feels a little bit, they feel a little bit stilted at times, a little bit goofy, but I think when you're, when you're going to Disneyland, when you're at an amusement park, that's kind of what you're signing up for. So yeah, I was, um, I had my doubts about Galaxy's Edge going into it, but um, I, I, I came away, I was really impressed. Um, my expectations, um, weren't super high but they were definitely has definitely exceeded my expectations um i was i was i definitely thought it was a good experience i would definitely go again just even to to look around you could honestly spend you could spend hours just just looking at all the little details of like the space itself that to me was the the most impressive part of it all and also just frankly watching you know even if you're not as big of a fan of the characters as i am which i totally get but like Watching First Order Stormtroopers, Kylo Ren, Chewbacca, Rey, walk around in broad daylight was remarkable. It was just, it was just incredible to see. And it, 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 they felt like they were in an environment, you know, instead of them walking around Tomorrowland, which felt like almost a little too shoehorned, to see them walking around Batu made almost perfect sense. Oh yeah, it was, it was um, great. And I, really cool. Jacob will recall how I tried to ask um, one of the first door stormtroopers if they'd ever heard the great gospel of the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. <laughs> uh, they did not answer me. Um, rude. Uh, I also, um, we, al we also did a bunch of silly things. Jacob got a picture of me trying to do the Luke Skywalker from The Last Jedi um, thing with the green milk. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Which I haven't posted to Twitter yet, but um, as of this recording, but like by the time this episode's up, I probably will because I'm a chaotic man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, with well, that. actually, you can't know, I'm a chaotic that. man, and also look at the shirt I'm wearing. Hey, I like it. <laughs> I mean, no, you don't. You don't have to lie. I mean, like... I don't like it, but I like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't like it, but I like the. The shirt, yeah. I don't like the mood. It's a Last Jedi shirt. Um, yeah. For, for audio. I yeah. guess for everyone who's not on this Zoom as we're recording. So, yeah. I may not like the movie, but I like the uh, I like the boldness. I like the statement. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, but um, should we? Do you have any more thoughts about Galaxy's Edge, or should we just get on to the to the Revenge of the Sith and the the Phantom Apprentice? Let's let's jump right into it. Let's do it. In Revenge of the Sith, um, Anakin and Obi Wan come back from uh, the Battle of Coruscant to be greeted as heroes. Uh, Anakin is greeted by Padme, who tells him that she is pregnant with his kid. Um, Meanwhile, on Utapau, General Grievous arrives after a stunning defeat in the Battle of Coruscant. Sidious tells him to move all the Separatist leaders to Mustafar. Uh, Grievous obliges. Meanwhile, back on Coruscant, Anakin has a bad dream, a forced vision of Padme's impending death. Um, and Anakin and Padme try to comfort each other as they try to uh, reassure themselves that this dream could not possibly be real. Back at the Jedi Council, um, they uh, the Jedi Council... Uh, Actually, but so back in um, back with Palpatine, uh, Palpatine appoints Anakin as his personal representative to the Jedi Council, seeing as there is an opening in the Council. The Council accepts this, but does not do the other thing they usually do for Council members, which is make Anakin the rank of Master. Anakin is outraged, but eventually obliges. Um, they send Yoda to. Uh, they, they send Yoda to the planet of Kashyyyk to um, meet with the Wookiees to help them fight off Separatist invaders. And they send Obi-Wan um, eventually to Utapau to try and go after General Grievous. Obi-Wan then tells Anakin that um, the Council has asked him to spy on Palpatine and report on all of his dealings, which Anakin takes reluctantly. Palpatine asks Anakin to appoint him to, uh, to accompany him to the theater, um, where he tells him the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, an old Sith Lord who could use the Force to influence the midichlorians to create life. Um, Anakin is intrigued by this tale um, and is enthralled. Uh, and then, and then we end this segment by Yoda going to Kashyyyk. The first major thing that happens is Anakin tell is Padme tells Anakin she's pregnant. Uh, you want me to start talking about that, or do you want to talk uh, about I just that? want to say, first off, I opened up, if you open up in Revenge of the Sith, a freeze frame of exactly 25 minutes, it gives you this really crazy look, as, as I did, it gives you a really crazy look at Palpatine's entourage, and just the longer you look at their faces, the weirder it gets. I, I had a very, I had a very disturbing moment, kind of looking at that and, 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 and wondering what could possibly be going through their minds because they got some they got some weird mugs that's all i'll say <laughs> interesting sorry but yeah what, what what was your take on this uh this moment because well like look i understand and, and again i'm not an expert on pregnancy or anything uh i'm fully uh willing to and and able to admit that i'm a man and i don't know things about how women get pregnant but like even so well pregnant Padme had to have had a had, could have had a bigger role in this movie other than just kind of standing there most of the time. Uh, yeah, so you, 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 were, you think that she shouldn't have been, been sidelined the way she was? Yeah, she, like, it, it, it's so, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of Padme's role in the other two movies, but at least she's doing things. Yeah. What is she actually doing as a character, not as a support character to Anakin, but as her own individual character with her own goals and values... In this film, because I can't think of anything. It, it definitely, it's, it's definitely a bit of a, a big downgrade 
for her. But I yeah. think that um, as as disappointing as it is to not to not see more of her and and see her get a more active role, I think it makes sense in a weird way. Um, given that the entire game that Palpatine is playing in this movie is basically trying to isolate Anakin from everyone who will kind of keep him um, towards the towards the light side. Well, yes, I have a few counterpoints to that. First of all, Obi-Wan has his own goals and stories and motivations in this movie, whereas Padme does not. Yeah, that is true. Second of all, Padme actually would have had her own story and motivations in the story uh, in this film, but it was cut. Really? Yes, there was actually, so I don't know if you remember this, we did an episode about a few years ago, uh, very beginning of In a Galaxy, I'd say when we were covering Phantom Menace, of the prequel deleted scenes. Do you remember that? I do remember that, yes. Uh, one of the prequel scenes alluded to a subplot that George Lucas was looking at, which was Padme meeting with Bail Organa and Mon Mothma because she was afraid about the Chancellor's growing power. And it was basically supposed to show some of the initial seeds that that grew to become the Rebel Alliance later on. That would have been cool. That would have been, been great. That would, like, 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 from everything we know about it, it sounded really good. It sounded like a really interesting idea. Um, and, you know, we saw the, we saw a few of the scenes, and it looked pretty good, honestly. So, yeah. Yeah. But. That, that is unfortunate. I think, I think they definitely could have included that. But in terms of her relation to Anakin, I think it makes sense why yeah. they kind of kept her out of it but i do think that there definitely would have been room for you know planting those seeds and, and having padme obvious obviously i think it would only be fitting if we had padme you know be a part of those be a part of those seeds i think you're absolutely right um for but but i need to question anakin and padme's judgment here because they're anakin runs up to padme they run up they hug in you know in the giant columns they're in full view of like 10 people who are standing, uh, they're standing a ways away, but they're there. And God forbid any of the entourage, any of Bail Organa's entourage, just happens to, to yeah. turn around. Also, by the like, way, Bail totally knew that to that was happening. Where Really? He knew? I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying it's a canonical fact he knew. I'm just saying, like, look at him, watch that scene, and tell me he didn't know. Yeah. And I mean, the, I mean the novelization. And In the novelization, like, obviously, you know, uh, Obi-Wan in the Revenge of the Sith novelization he he knew a lot more than than he was letting on um but I guess that brings me to a question which is it seems like a lot of Anakin's behavior especially in relation to Padme was kind of which was problematic ended up being enabled by people who who meant well what do you think about do you think that that some of some of all this could have been could have been prevented or do you think that it didn't really matter in the end you know here's what i i think about revenge of the sith in this aspect of of the path that of who fails anakin and how they fail anakin and this we will get to a theme with this i feel like palpatine constantly presents people around anakin with lose-lose scenarios yeah that's the name of his game but that's absolutely the name of his game but they somehow Actually, sorry. Palpatine presents people just in general a lot of lose-lose scenarios with this, but somehow yeah. 
people in this movie have an have an innate talent for picking the worst options of the, the bad options. Oh, they absolutely do. I think like like it, it, it's a way to, to say that Palpatine's manipulating this, but also that people are making choices because you know people are making choices. They're making really bad choices. There's a I very mean, poor decision making. In the I mean, that the is, choices that, that they're stuck with that are better are not good. But like they're still choosing the worst decisions. Like yeah. the the council could have could have done something, for example, with the whole Anakin Master situation, um, uh, that was not throw a hissy fit in front of him, which is basically what they did. I'd argue that it was he who was throwing the hissy fit, but I'm no. Yeah. I mean, well, he threw the hissy fit second. They threw the hissy fit first. Yeah. You are on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. I thought they should have done the opposite. I thought they were going to make him a master. Then I don't know. That that's what I would maybe I don't uh, know actually what I would have. My, my my thing is like especially with that if we want to talk talk a little bit about that and we'll talk about this more later. But like with that, it's like look if Mace Windu wants to talk to Anakin alone, if Yoda wants to talk to Anakin alone, if Obi Wan wants to talk to Anakin alone. That's something different. But to say that that we are doing this be- only because the Chancellor basically bribed us into doing this, um, A, and B, we're not even granted the entirety of your request in front of the entire Jedi Council in such a public setting. It's not the setting. best look for him. Like, that, that, like, that's just... Yep. You that, can see why That is just, like, a public shaming at that point. There's no reason for them to do that. Again, it's, it's, they're presented with a bunch of bad options, and they somehow still choose the worst ones. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you have anything about um about Grievous on Utapau, or should we just go on past that because that sequence is pretty short, just generally. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the, that the Grievous's hologram, um, hologram scene, obviously with Sidious, I, I thought that was one of the highlights of the segment, even though it was very short. Just unbelievably chilling to me. Just the foreshadowing, just how much Grievous, just showing like just how much Grievous doesn't know. You know, it made me think back to Grievous and Obi Wan's fight. I can't remember which episode it is in season two of the Clone Wars. Grievous yeah, grievous intrigue when they have that whole thing, and 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 Obi Wan's like, "You're a pawn. You just can't see it." And like, like, wow. Yep. I mean, he was right. Obi Wan. Obi Wan was right. Um, I mean, he wasn't completely right because he didn't know who the pawn, who the yeah, like the but, pawn holder was. But like, yeah, he thought it was Dooku. He thought it was Dooku. Needless to say, it was not Dooku. Needless to say, it was not Dooku. Yeah. But yeah. Um. I before we leave Utapau, um, I do have a meme. I've been marking down our memes. Um, I think oh, there were, there were meme overload. Me- meme overload. Meme um, overload. this is, it starts with, a, this segment starts with the 20th meme and ends with the 27th meme. There are seven memes in this segment. A sharp decline from the 19 in the last one. Um, but still there are seven in this one. Um, when, when Palpatine is telling Grievous about his future, uh, vaguely about his future plans, um, he of course goes, Soon I will have a new apprentice. Yeah. One far yeah. younger and more powerful. 
which has which has been turned into an infamous meme. Um, yeah. I and I and also just I love the foreshadowing of that moment, even if it's yeah. not like, oh, it's not. Uh, I, I know a lot of these foreshadowing moments are not like, oh, they're a super deep moment or it's such a such a deep reading that has led me to this foreshadowing. I just I just think it's cool. I just think it's it's cool. Like, oh yeah, there there's a I great the sense they, of foreboding yeah. that this movie has. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Foreboding, just the sense of impending doom. Yeah, that's something this movie does uh, such a good it, job of. It absolutely, absolutely. Um, I I totally agree with that. Um, can we talk about the scene with Anakin and Padme on the balcony? Oh, this scene is just. Ah. So you know me, I genuine generally don't like criticizing Star Wars. I don't like harping on things. I'm generally, like, the devil's advocate in favor of things on this show. I generally have a more positive-leaning review on things. Am I right, Jacob? I'm, am I correct in that assumption? Yeah, absolutely. This scene sucks. <laughs> like, there's no other way to put it. This scene sucks. Again, just my opinion, but I can't stand this scene. I can't. Just this... like right after, right after the vision. No, 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 no. The before the vision. You oh, are the, oh, the, so beautiful. Only because I'm so in love. Yeah, this only one, because this I'm so in love. Rough. This one's a little rough. But so, so you're saying love is blind of you? Yeah. It's it's just horrendous. The dialogue is just bad. Yeah, the dialogue. It's not the it's not the prettiest in here. I'm yeah. gonna be honest. I mean, and, and like and and freaking like, how did we get from Padme as this strong, incredible, like powerful, um, feisty senator from from Naboo or queen from Naboo or senator or whatever, or whatever role you wanted to define her as to Annie? I want to go to Naboo to pick up the baby's house. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't get a lot of uh. Yeah, it's it's it is kind of a shame that we don't get to see that side of her in in the Revenge of the Sith, you know, especially considering um what especially considering like how much her character kind of I guess improves um how much of her we see uh in um in the Clone Wars. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Um it is a bit of a shame, but yeah, this scene, eh, it's it's a little rough, but I mean, I kind of am of the opinion that Anakin's clunky dialogue, like, it, it's, it's, it's cringy, but it's also perfect for him, because he has a lot of problems fostering relationships. He doesn't really know how to act. When he first met Padme, he said, are you an angel? Granted, he was nine, but still, like, between his between his emotional problems going back to obviously his his traumatic childhood um the, his his attachment problems um you know grew up in a horrible environment you know is he lost his mom you know everything and then the jedi kind of uh, not really um i generally don't think that that um the that uh anakin's fall is the jedi's fault as much as a lot of people do, but still, they just they just don't really teach him to to deal with his emotions helpfully or anything or foster you know good relationships, communicate anything like that. So I think it's kind of perfect for him that we're getting this clunky dialogue because he doesn't know how to act. Yeah, so that's part of it. He he doesn't really 
he absolutely doesn't know what to do in this situation. He's he's like bare, he's he's 22, so he's yeah, he's like a he's only a few years removed from like being like a kid. Maybe Jacob, like a teenager, you I'm know? sorry to to correct you on this. My trivia brain won't let me not. 23. 23. Um, okay. A little worse, but, you know, my point still no, stands. No, I'm not saying it affects your point at all. I'm just yeah. like, I can't... Oh, yeah, yeah. 23, then. My, my bad, my bad. 23, you know. It, it, I think that still fits his character, where, you know, he is a little bit... Like, he is he's growing into adulthood, but he is a little bit, you know, emotionally, emotionally stunted, you might say, um, from, obviously, his upbringing combined with the Jedi. Yeah. So, so I've kind of, it, his act, the acting, the lines, it doesn't really bother me as much, because I, I, I can like justify it in my mind, by just saying, um, by just saying, oh, like this is, this is just how Anakin is, like it's, like because of like his upbringing and just, it's part of his character. I, I think, um, generate Generation Tech did a great, uh, did a great YouTube video, on this idea. They kind of. Alan kind of articulates it uh, articulates it better than I can, so so go check that out um, for more for more on this topic. But yeah, I guess we have opposing, not opposing, but yeah, we, we definitely have very different viewpoints, Eli. I guess on on how how we how we deal with this uh, this acting and this this dialogue about Hayden's acting. Um, I've warmed up to Hayden a lot over the past few years. I've warmed up in this movie. In Attack of the Clones, I still think some of his choices were interesting, to say the least. Um, but I think Hayden actually does a pretty good job at portraying a lot of the conflict in Anakin. I think he I think he actually does really well as Dark Side Anakin. I think maybe he does a little less well as Light Side Anakin. But I think that... I, I think that... I can see why George picked... Hayden based on Revenge of the Sith, not based on on New Hope, on on, on not New Hope, um, Attack of the Clones, but Revenge of the Sith. Definitely, I can see it now. Um, so I'm not as big of an opponent of Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker, as I was before. Um, but yeah, um, I forgot to mention this part. Um, but Anakin goes to this little therapy session with Master Yoda. Oh yeah, which is completely like it, it. It does not. I think my I like as much as I love Yoda. I feel like the scene might be a little bit extraneous because it doesn't really tell us anything we don't know yet. What do you mean? Well. Why do you think? And I'm not like trying to say this rhetorically. I'm trying to ask you. Why do you think the scene was included? Because I can't figure it out. I think just to kind of show that Anakin really is is really is trying, um, you know, to reach out and and to show this that Yoda is aware and and just to reinforce that uh, you know, reinforce that point that Yoda knows um, and kind of that 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 Anakin is trying, but that the Jedi can't really get through to him and right, kind of like he can't really get through to uh to yoda and yoda can't really get through to him because they kind of just have opposing uh experiences uh, viewpoints 
even even though Anakin is like is going to Yoda for help, like clearly he he trusts him at least somewhat, you know. Yeah. That's I, I, why I would say. I I I can I can, I can see that. I I was just like this scene felt a little bit extraneous to me, but whatever. Um. Yeah, it it definitely was not the most uh, necessary, but I didn't. I don't know. I, I didn't find quite the same issues with it that you did, I guess. Talk about Anakin's vision in the Absolutely. I didn't have much for it, so that's yeah. why, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I first off, the vision, so chilling, um, so much more chilling than I remember. Um, really scary. You know, it really does a good job of bringing across Anakin's fear, even if it just is kind of unfounded. Like, you know, later we hear Palpatine say, like, oh, I can save her from certain death. Why, why is it so certain what why is it why is it that certain but um you know despite that it, re it does a really good job i think um um and just you know the symbolism of um i think just this little moment of symbolism where anakin he has this vision of of, of padme dying and he's like oh god oh no and then he and then he gets up and walks away from padme and leaves padme that's 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 uh that's a little bit ironic to me you know <laughs> just given how obviously he ends up uh force choking her after doing everything that he does um to try and save her um but yeah the whole conversation he has with padme after that i know hayden obviously we just touched on this he gets some flack for his acting um for the dialogue you know the the writing there's really no one else i could imagine playing anakin though just he gets him to a T, I think, to be honest. I've warmed up to it a lot. A young man with not the slightest clue of how to regulate or express his his churning, chaotic inner life and emotions. And he's just trying to contain them all while trying to make sense of this world, dealing with all the trauma that he's experienced and getting no support or no emotional support um, from, from the Jedi, from the Council, um, and very limited from a from Obi-Wan and now that Ahsoka's gone obviously none from her so so I I, I actually enjoyed that scene even if the dialogue is a little clunky at face value I found a way to uh to enjoy it yeah I I think that like I think that history is going to look back better on Anakin on Hayden as Anakin especially as we get him in Kenobi and Ahsoka um yeah I I think that they that his I'm not saying he's the best actor in the franchise. I'm saying that he has some good subtle nuances that could go unnoticed by people who will just blindly hate him. Yeah, I think I think they they do a very good job of um, Hayden does a very good job. Uh, the the directing it all does a very good job intentionally or not of portraying how Anakin kind of it's it's always a little bit like he's. Um, it's always a little bit of this vibe of a error 404 emotions not found. Like he's always trying to, he's always kind of lagging behind a little bit, trying to process everything, trying to, to figure out a good response. Yeah. Trying to figure out what's expected of him because he has so many expectations placed on him. Yeah. Um, do we want to get to the Jedi council? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Um, the Jedi uh, Council meeting. The, 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 
I, I just gotta start. Yeah, can, yeah. Can go I for just it, can it. I just do like um Rant all you want. Go for it. Allow this appointment lightly. The council does not. Disturbing is this move by Chancellor Palpatine. You are on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of master. What? How can you do this? This is outrageous. It's unfair. How can you be on the council and not be a master? Take a seat, young Skywalker. And the, and the, and then we get down to the second part of that scene, but like, I, I just needed a second to, because that entire scene is just so iconic and half of that scene is a meme anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, and then they talk about, um, and then they talk about Grievous, and then, um, Keanu Mundi out of freaking nowhere asks, what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? Um, uh, he's right, he's a system we cannot afford to lose. Go, I will. Good relations with the Wookiees. <laughs> it's just like, I have. It's impossible to watch this scene now, and actually, for me, I had a very hard time trying to see this scene for what it was because oh, 100%. of just all the memes being like, oh my god, haha, that's like, oh, I've seen that so many yeah, times. Yeah, oh my god, I've seen so many variations of this, you know? My, it's, it's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> this scene contains my favorite delivery of a single word in the entire Skywalker saga. The way Anakin just, just look, and I've exaggerated a bit in my head, but just watch the scene again. Um, if you're watching this ever, watch this scene and notice the way Anakin says B, it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, the way he emphasizes, how could you be on the council yeah. and not be a master? It, it's so good, and, I, and I've 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 exaggerated. How can you be on the council and not be a master? It's I I love it so much. It's so iconic to me in my own head. Um, I don't know if you've also seen the the many um the the YouTube the YTPs made of this. Um, scene. There's a uh, famous one. Um, it's outrageous. It's unfair. It's unfagious. <laughs> Which I love. Yeah. Um, I, and I just like legitimately involuntarily think when I'm watching that scene now, I automatically think in my head, it's outrageous. It's unfair. It's unfagious. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it, I, I th this scene is is for me the failures of the the failures of the Jedi Council. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, before we even get to Droid Attack on the Wookiees, yeah, I didn't have much. Obviously, there's a very significant moment, but I didn't really have a lot for it. So yeah, what do you want to? What do you got for this? It does feel like the Jedi Council very much is talking down to Anakin, which is weird considering that he is technically one of their members now. Yeah. It I mean, feels... clearly they've kind of, they're kind of fed up with, I think the Jedi Council has kind of reached their breaking point with Anakin, you know, disobeying the rules and kind of being a maverick. And and we saw where that, where, we saw what, what where that got them with Qui-Gon. So what, what happens when you have Anakin who basically takes the Qui-Gon shtick and, like, multiplies it by a hundred, you know? And also wants what Qui-Gon doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. And he's supposed to be the chosen one, and they're in wartime, and he's supposed to be this, like, perfect chosen one, golden boy, like, warrior general who's gonna, like, save the whole galaxy. Yeah. So they're definitely... 
I think the the Jedi Council is definitely feeling the burn from some uh maybe some overly overly high expectations or some misplaced uh, hope. Yeah, absolutely. But what do you have anything else for this for this scene? I really want to I really want to know what you think. You know, I think a lot of and again, we'll get to this in our next episode. Um I know this content is not it's in the next episode we're going to be recording episode 79 of the Galaxy. But I think a lot about um, you're on this council. I think a lot about take a seat, young Skywalker. And I'm sorry, citizen. These matters are for the council only. And yeah. Mace Windu's personal grudges that he holds. Yeah. Which is not a very Jedi-like thing to do. It's not. And I mean, when I rewatched it, the citizen thing, it kind of like obviously he. It seemed like he was a little bit burned. But to me, it kind of just seemed like he was like genuinely like worried about security and 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 protocols. Say what you want. We will get to that um, in our next recording, whenever that may be. It's just it, it's hard to it's hard to look at that scene because of the memes. But when you do look at it, you can see the dysfunction of the Jedi Council. You can see, you know, there's that. Uh, Obi-Wan says, we do not have many ships to spare um, uh, when going after Grievous. I'm like, guys, do you really have that many ships caught up in the Outer Rim Sieges? You're all, like, Jedi Masters. Can't, like, and, like, ten out of the twelve of you are on Coruscant. Can't, like, one of you, I like, I know they eventually send to Obi-Wan. Like, can't, like, two of you go out and search for Grievous? Like... It doesn't exactly look like you're spread thin. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't really bother me as much. But yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, yeah, if you have anything else, I want to I want to talk about the droid attack on the Wookiees. Uh, talk about the droid unless, attack unless on the Wookiees. Try to talk about me. the droid attack on Wookiees. You're done with the... Uh, yep. How can this... Uh, this is outrageous. This is unfair. Yeah. Yep. Um, droid attack on the Wookiees. It is a system we cannot afford to lose. Yep. Now, the utterly this was ridiculous a, segue of yeah. Getty money. Utterly that ridiculous makes no, segue. That makes no um, sense, but we've all accepted. Yeah, I think we've all, by, by this point, we've all kind of, we're all familiar with the conspiracy theory that uh, Kiati Mundi is actually totally responsible for the for the fall of the Jedi, and this is part of it. Because well, he, some of us are, and some of us believe that, Yoda. and some of us don't. I, don't. I don't entirely believe it, but I think it's fun. I will oh, say that. Okay, I don't believe it at all, and I'm not... A huge fan of that theory myself, or whatever. Yeah, I don't. Know. I just think it's funny, you know. Given given yeah. what we see, yeah. it's a little bit like Darth Jar Jar. Like, no, but like Darth Jar Jar has more evidence to it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you got a, you got a couple of you got a few moments there. Like, it's a bit of a stretch, but you got a few moments. Um, but anyway, what about the Jordan talking to Wookiees? Now, legends, uh, as legends fans may know, this was a this was a great you know total geek out moment for me. Um, because of the Klaatuvok guild, perhaps? You know, in Legends, um, well, first of all, the, the Klaatuvok guild um, is a very cool detail that just makes me love uh, just makes me love Wookiees and love Kashyyyk even more. In the city of Kirchiro, there was a top-secret headquarters for the Klaatuvok guild, which was an organization of um, Wookiee hyperspace scouts and mathematicians and scientists who were, uh, for centuries, secretly uh, mapping and researching um, hyperlanes 
and and these these hyperspace routes, a select few hyperspace routes, know only to them because they discover them. Wait. Yes. Now in Legends. Oh, wait, the, the the mapping of the hyperspace lanes was also in Legends, right? Pardon? The mapping of the hyperspace lanes was in Legends, right? Uh, the mapping of the hyperspace lanes, according to according to um, Wikipedia, at least, the uh, the Klaatuvac Guild and their their mo, their thing of mapping hyperspace lanes, that's all um, that's all uh, canon as well as legends. However, interesting in, in Legends, the Battle of Kashyyyk was fought because the CIS intelligence heard rumors of these Wookies who were um, who were mapping secret hyperlanes, and they wanted to get these hyperlanes. And both the both the Republic and the Separatists. Um, kind of knew that this could be a possibility and the Republic was um it, so in Legends it was a system they could not afford to lose because of the Klaatuvac guild and their hyperspace knowledge. Interesting falling into separate hands. Did not know we that. don't know if that's true we don't know if that's true for canon. Um I wouldn't think so in canon. That this is true. Because I yeah again I wouldn't think so. Be, but I think that's such a great moment and that yeah that just likes me make Wookiees and Wookiee cult that just makes me like Wookiees and Wookiee culture even more. It's so cool. For me, it wouldn't make a lot of sense in canon because there's already um, another group um, of a conglomerate of people long ago who knew how to manipulate hyperspace lanes. um, And presumably by the time of the Battle of Kashyyyk, the Jedi had already dealt with them. And that's the Nile. Yeah. In the higher level. Where did did Grievous, at least in Legends, wasn't there something funky going on with... uh... Where Grievous got the um, the 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 hyper lane that led led straight to Coruscant, allowing him to launch that attack. I think Palpatine just gave it to him as Sidious. Yeah, do you think Palpatine just kind of gave it? I think Palpatine just gave it to him as Sidious. Okay, that's fair. Um, that is fair. That is something. Or maybe he, he handed it down to Dooku, and then Dooku gave it to him, or something like that. I don't know. I just remember. I remember something in the Star Wars Atlas, but I don't know. I'll go back later. We can do a time little time machine. Eli Jacob from the future thing, if we want to. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, what makes this even crazier is that, at least in Legends, um, it was actually none other than one famous Wookiee, Chewbacca, who gave his part of the Klaatuvac Guild's information to Princess Leia and the Rebel Alliance at the time of the Galactic Civil War, allowing them to gain key advantages over the Empire. Yeah. Interesting. In Legends, at least, which Very I, that just makes me fanboy because I'm a, I'm a I'm a big Chewbacca fan. I'm a big Wookiee fan, so you know, for me, that's just that's just too cool. That that is really cool. I I, I enjoyed hearing about your research on that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, should we move on to Anakin and Obi Wan's meeting after the council? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so Obi-Wan tells Anakin that the council wants him to spy on Palpatine. First of all, I'm calling out the council. I'm calling out Mace Windu. I'm calling out, I guess I'm calling out Yoda in this case, even though I love that guy. Um, uh, Mace Windu, Yoda, Kiati Mundi, all the, the council. If you have something to say to Anakin, say it to his fucking face, you cowards. Shots fired. None of this, right. like, handing stuff off to Obi-Wan. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that Anakin is perfect and an angel in this scenario, but the Jedi Council is acting really shady here. I mean, I kind of I think it makes sense, given how Obi-Wan says this has to be, like, an off-the-books 
assignment, I think that it makes sense for them to be like, hey, can you just, you know, on the sly tell Anakin? Obviously, it's not a good look for them, and it, it ultimately does play into Palpatine's hands. But it's I, not I, a good look to them, and it's also I understand it, it also feels extremely patronizing to Anakin because Obi-Wan used to be his master. So it's almost like, it, so there was that line like, like, why are you asking this of me? No, the Anakin, the council's asking this of you. And although Anakin knows that the council's asking, like, but it almost feels like Obi-Wan's asking him to do it. Yeah. They definitely, they definitely were thinking about that connection. But, yeah, in, the wrong, in all the wrong ways, I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, Anakin, I mean, look, I, I love you, buddy, but man he is he is really dumb in this scene you know the the scene with the spying you know how much it just shows how much sway palpatine has gotten over him especially given that palpatine pretty much asked anakin to spy on the council for him and he had no problem with it so i, I just think it's interesting that already at this point i guess not already because this is kind of the end game but we see palpatine palpatine has more influence um and loyalty from Anakin than the council does. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That just shows you how Plus, the it's very hard. I, I think it would be very hard for somebody to spy on Palpatine. Just generally. Yeah. Was like, he, he's going to know everything. He's just that kind of guy. He, he, and, 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 you know, no one's going to sneak up on Palpatine. Yeah. No one will. Uh, that like like he's just too powerful um uh so then let's see let's see oh yeah um yeah again i largely agree with anakin like again not for the reasons anakin does but like the jedi trying to spy on a democratically elected leader because he stayed in office a little bit too long I understand they're doing it for noble purposes, but it still looks really bad. It's a bad look, but at the same time, like, I, yeah, I, I, I sympathize with them. Like, you can say he's democratically elected, but at the end of the day, like, like, it, clearly there's, like, he is, like, going, like, if you look at the situation objectively, whether you like him or not, like, whether people like him or not, like, it may be a wartime, but he is going for the power grab. Like you look at you look at everything that happened with all these, you know, the wartime bank deregulations and everything, putting the banks under the chancellor's control. Yeah, Palpatine's like he's clearly consolidating power at this point, and I think yeah. we see a lot of characters who overlook that because they they don't care or they like Palpatine or they just have they think they have bigger fish to fry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also that. Um, there's also that um, idea of, um, you know, Mace Windu says in that, do you remember there's that scene with the, the, the LAAT carryover with Yoda and Mace and Obi-Wan with a bunch of their random chats? And, um, and Mace Windu's like, and Mace Windu says, it's very dangerous putting them together. And I'm like, Hmm, if only you had some yeah. sort of role in that, Mace Windu. Yeah, <laughs> if only, if only, uh... If only you, I like... Mean, I think, yeah, he clearly feels... It's like very dangerous putting together, then why did you do it? Why did you do it? <laughs> you did that! You're saying... Uh, this, is, this is an example of Palpatine, his ability to put people in lose-lose situations. 
Yeah. It's 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 so crazy to me. Um, let's see what's the next. Oh yeah, can we get to that talk between Padme and Anakin in the the um in in their apartment? Uh, Padme and Anakin in their apartment. Yeah, I want to talk about this one, and, cool. I, and and not to get too much on a political tangent, but like I remember watching this scene when the news of the Supreme Court um. Uh, with their draft of potentially overturning Roe v. Wade was um, put out, and the seeming like authoritarianism that radiated to me, um, and it made. Th and I also like. I will say this: the last time I watched Return to the Sith w before this, the last time I watched some of these scenes was on January sixth, twenty twenty one, when the Capitol was when, when the Capitol was stormed. By rioters um and it got me thinking you know there's a lot of scenes in this film about how democracies could become authoritarian dictatorships um and you know pa the line from padme um have you ever considered that we may be on the wrong side what if the democracy we thought we were serving no longer exists and the republic yeah. has become the very evil we've been fighting to destroy it, it's it, it's poignant. It, it it spoke to me in a specific way. Um, actually, I just I I just want to read some of my notes here. Um, there's another line that Padme says: "This war represents a failure to li be li to listen." I said, "Number one, Padme would be great at Star Wars in a Galaxy." Uh, number <laughs> two, she's absolutely right. Very few people in the galaxy at the time, and in our current political system, encourage empathy and listening to others as yeah. a strategy for making the change that will do the best for the most amount of people possible. We saw this in episodes like Heroes on both sides of the Clone Wars, where Padme and Mina Bonteri had the chance to listen to each other, and then Palpatine, of course, blew the whole fucking thing to the skyline, because that's what he does. But the closest the Republic and the Separatists ever were to peace negotiations was that episode, because two people from opposing sides sat down and listened to each other. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a quote that, um, I know Alex Damon from Star Wars Explained uses a lot, um, uh, from George Lucas about how, you know, about how people generally succeed more when they're in groups rather than alone. Um, and, you know, the best groups need to listen to each other. And yeah, that is yeah. what fundamentally broke down in the Republic, on both sides of the conflict. And that's that's how the Clone Wars happened, that's how the Clone Wars ended in its way, is people could not listen to each other. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're you're absolutely spot on, you know, that obviously makes me, you know, think back very clearly, you know, heroes on both sides, Mina Monterey and, and Anakin, when he's like, you're starting to sound like a separatist. Like, clearly he is, he is really far gone there. A lot of them, a lot of them, they're really far gone. Um, and yeah, Padme, you know, so many of these moments where, you know, Padme, she almost sees the truth where, yeah, the Republic is kind of falling and, and, and crumbling and becoming the empire, becoming what they hate. Um, yeah, there's, that's, I think to me, that's what defines this, this uh, moment in Star Wars. Um, you know, uh, Revenge of the Sith, these episodes of the Clone Wars that are, that are, 
right near it is just everyone kind of finding out the truth or coming close to the truth, but just not going far enough or, or just being a little bit too late. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's the themes of democracy turning into authoritarianism here could not be clearer. You know, the whole, like, I want to shove this scene in the face of everybody who says that Star Wars is not political. Yeah. <laughs> because it, because this one just basically, the whole moral of this scene is that Star Wars is so incredibly political that it's not even funny at some points. Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. Uh, and, um, oh yeah. Um, and then we get to hold me like you did by the lake on Naboo, when there yeah, was no that, politics, that. no plotting, no war, except for there were all three of those things, and I just don't remember any of them for some reason. Like, yeah. <laughs> Padme was a senator, so there was politics, yeah. there was plotting to kill her, and there was a war, like, seconds away from happening. Yeah, it's, uh... I like that scene, but there was not no politics, there was not no plotting, and there was not no war. Yeah, I think that's just her kind of, you know, um, just wishing that she could, just wishing that they could go back to a simpler time, obviously, you know, they're Wait. both under incredible, incredible stress, you know, bad things are, uh, bad things are afoot. Um, yeah, um, it's, the dialogue is, is pretty funny, though, I think, obviously not some of the best, almost, uh, almost Shakespearean, perhaps feels like a feels like an old an old play maybe um yeah <laughs> so uh, you know not I'm, not george not george lucas's finest uh finest moment um i mean for me i feel like the, the shakespeare like this this is a very shakespearean movie to me in a different way which is the tragic sense of it this is written very closely to a shakespearean tragedy in my opinion oh, yeah. there are there are inflection points where we can see where we know the Characters can make different choices to make things turn out better, but they never do because that's why the tragedy has to exist. And it's the beauty and it's the horror of tragedies like Revenge of the Sith and the Siege of Mandalore. Um, and then we and then we and then we gotta we gotta we gotta talk about we gotta talk about the final scene in Revenge of the Sith, and we gotta then we gotta move on to Phantom Apprentice. Jacob, I want to ask you something. It's a question I've been waiting to ask you for three years on this show. So you better okay. buckle up, okay? Have you ever heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? I thought not. It's not the story the Jedi would tell you. Darth Plagueis was a dark lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise he could use the Force to influence the midichlorians to create evil head turn. Life. He had such a knowledge of the dark side. He didn't even keep the ones he cared about from dying. He could actually save people from death. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some considered to be unnatural. What happened to him? He became so powerful. The only thing he was afraid of was losing that power, which eventually the cost did. You see, he taught his apprentice everything he knew, and then the apprentice killed him in his sleep. It's ironic. He could save others from death. But not himself. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. 
So yes, I've had that whole scene memorized for a long time because how could I not? That seems iconic in every single way possible. Um, frankly, this is... Look, J.J. Abrams has said this is his favorite scene in the prequel trilogy and it's be quickly becoming one of my favorite scenes in the prequel trilogy. Um, love or hate the Rise of Skywalker as much as you do, I will entirely now, and I'm glad I watched this scene now to give me some clarity on this, I will entire I will point everybody who says that Palpatine's return was com came completely out of nowhere to this scene right here, where Palpatine literally spells out his entire plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was actually I, I believe it was Claudia Gray who was on the show, um, and she's like, "Yeah, hate the Red Skywalker, love the Red Skywalker, whatever." You cannot deny that Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith in that in the in the opera scene, was basically laying out to Anakin and the audience his plan for returning from the dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's just that simple. Um, I also, um, I also love the dialogue before that. Um, uh, this is, this is my, fa this is my favorite part. Um, when Palpatine's trying to figure out the Jedi are spying on, um, on him. He, Anakin says to him, I know they don't trust you. And Palpatine goes, all, all the Senate, all the Republic, or democracy for that matters. For that matter. Yeah, so dramatic. You notice oh how pa quick Palpatine goes from they don't like me to they don't like democracy. Yeah, they don't like they don't like me, they don't like you, they don't like democracy. Yeah, he's such a good manipulator. He, he, he goes from zero to 100 in five seconds and makes it sound completely reasonable. Yeah, he knows how to. He, it's the thing that he's so good at is he 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 manages to take Anakin. He takes what Anakin is feeling. He takes Anakin's feelings and turns them into he, he and he rationalizes them into a reality. And he says, "No, Anakin, these this what how you feel. This isn't just how you feel. I'm going to validate that." I'm going to make that your reality so that you're going to want to keep listening to me because I'm telling you what you want to hear. That's his whole shtick with Anakin. And unfortunately it, uh, it works pretty fantastically. <laughs> really yeah. successful. It is so, so chilling. The music is so menacing the way, obviously, as I said, the way Palpatine manipulates Anakin, it's, it's just, I can't, I can't say enough about pulling them strings. He is pulling them strings. He is the puppet master himself. He wow, the things he does with with Anakin, the way he kind of twists his mind. Shout out, shout out to Obi Wan. Yeah. Shout out to my boy. To twist your mind. Um, the thing, the way he twists Anakin's mind, it's 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 pretty incredible. It, it, it is pretty it, stinking incredible. It's it's revolutionary. Um, we <laughs> get to see a little bit of Kashyyyk in this um, uh, in in this sequence. Um, uh. I will end with our Revenge of the Sith commentary with this. Am I the only one I, who I, really hates Chewbacca in Revenge of the Sith? Like, I don't hate the character, but, like, he really didn't need to be there. You may be the only one. <laughs> That's know. fine. I thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was a nice cameo, but it, we'll see. I, I would have preferred it as a cameo. It wasn't a cameo. Because Chewbacca's in there for a good part of that movie. If the, if he was I mean, like a two second flash like a oh oh there's Chewbacca fighting in the battle 
that would have been fine for me, but that he plays as major of a role in this movie as he does does not sit well with me. That's just my opinion, though. That's fair. That's fair. Um, one more thing I want to say, though. This final Jedi Council meeting where they decide uh, where, where Anakin says, oh, Palpatine requested that I go capture Grievous, which is another amazing moment of manipulation, by the way. Oh, yeah. Palpatine says, like, oh, you should, you should be the one. Um, obviously, classic stroking his ego you know we've seen that throughout the clone wars throughout throughout the tv show um gosh i was gonna say yeah if and if the jedi hadn't sent what's so ironic is that if the jedi hadn't if the jedi had sent anakin to capture grievous instead of obi-wan or had sent them both he probably wouldn't have been in the same position to end up falling to the dark side yeah as he does um and 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 i think that I think that this isn't luck. I think Palpatine knew exactly what he was doing. Um, he requested Anakin lead it because he knows the Jedi don't trust him at this point. He knows that they would send someone else, yep. leaving Anakin alone on Coruscant with one less powerful Jedi there and with Anakin even more angry and 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 hurt and distrustful of the Council because they overruled the Chancellor and they overruled him yep. and they didn't send him that hurts his ego that reinforces everything he thought and that reinforces um his idea that the jedi are anti-chancellor that reinforces the idea that palpatine's trying to sell that the jedi are uh, plotting against palpatine and that they're plotting against um the republic and anakin it's such himself. a moment yeah anakin himself too yeah, yeah. um I, I totally agree with everything you're saying there um, I think I wrote this down uh, in my notes, but there is there is very much a sense, and we will get to this, I think, um, when, in our later coverage of Revenge of the Sith. I do get the sense that Anakin feels like Obi-Wan is a better version of him sometimes. There's quite a bit of jealousy for Obi-Wan sometimes, I feel like, with Anakin. Yeah. That deep down, Anakin feels like Obi-Wan is just everything he does. Obi-Wan does it one step quicker, one step better. Um, and there is, you know. Really? You think, I feel like, um, so you're saying that Anakin is kind of jealous of, or kind of like doesn't, or like looks up to Obi-Wan and thinks that he isn't as, as good of a Jedi as he is? Yes. That's yeah. what I think. I think that it's kind of the opposite. I think that Anakin thinks, actually thinks that Obi-Wan is jealous of him, but he thinks that he is a better a better Jedi than Obi-Wan, and he thinks that Obi-Wan is holding him back, because he says that in Attack of the Clones. I think so that, I'd argue that it's kind of the opposite. I think maybe that's projection, honestly. What do you mean? I think that's possibly Anakin trying to outwardly pump up his ego, because secretly he does not feel a, a lot of self-worth. Self -worth. Really? I feel like a whole bunch of the Clone Wars is just... I mean, maybe some of that comes... I mean, I mean, maybe some of that comes from um, Palpatine, or, or maybe that some of that comes from Anakin's, like you know, self worth. Um, maybe he does have problems uh, uh, with his self worth, you know, maybe relating to uh, to his upbringing and whatnot. But I think he very clearly has uh, he harbors no illusions about the fact that um, he is one of the uh, he is one of the the Jedi's most powerful and greatest warriors um and he uh he takes that 
he takes that to the very extreme i think i think he definitely believes to me it seems like he he definitely believes that that uh that will be that he is um, more powerful than obi-wan that the jedi are uh afraid of his power because that's what palpatine is telling him as well yeah so he's led to, he's led to believe that I, I i see your point i'm not sure i necessarily agree just because of things i'll mention uh next episode of course um when we talk about the later sequences um with that you want to go on to the phantom apprentice uh yeah let's get into the phantom apprentice in the phantom apprentice we open with ahsoka being surrounded by um maul's uh the uh maul maul's uh maul delorians as you can say <laughs> um and he's he's saying that uh he was hoping for kenobi why is she here so she's very confused they're trying to get information out of each other there's a standoff but then rex and the clones come in um they they blast their way in um and maul and the mandalorians what what is maul's faction of mandalorians called we call them the mandalorians yeah is there an official name because the ones with red armor the the shadow collective mandalorians or something i don't know i don't know maul maul's mandalorians um the maul so the mandalorians uh they flee um ahsoka and uh, rex they fail to capture maul um so they return to the palace um they they talk to uh they talk to bo katan um Oh yeah, um, Ahsoka, um, there's a hologram call with Obi-Wan, um, she discusses what she found, um, she discusses engaging Maul, um, with Obi-Wan, he, he tells her, they discuss, you know, he's been sent to, uh, to capture Grievous, um, then, um, they return, uh, Ahsoka returns to the underworld with the clones, they discover more clones that have been ambushed and executed by Maul, um, from one dying clone from the trooper Sterling, she discovers that a uh, Maul captured Jesse alive and is interrogating Jesse. Um, we see Maul interrogate Jesse um, to to try and find out information about Ahsoka, um, and um, using the information from the uh, from the clone, um, Ahsoka uh, goes to uh, interrogate Prime Minister Olmec or Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. They go to interrogate Olmec to try and find out what Maul was doing. Um, Almec kind of tells them about Maul's business, what he was up to, and um, but uh, Almec is uh, assassinated by a, a Maldalorian. Not just right any Maldalorian. Who? Gar Saxon. Oh, he's assa- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's assassinated. I didn't realize that was actually Gar Saxon. That was Gar Saxon. Um, yeah, he's assassinated by Gar Saxon. Right before he dies, he reveals that um, Maul was trying to lure uh, Anakin there, actually. Um, the name Skywalker came to him in a vision, um, and he wanted to, uh, yeah, he just wanted Anakin there. Um, that's all we know for the time being. Um, yeah, so then, uh, they, they're going into the throne room. Maul confronts them there. Um, Bo-Katan leaves, Rex leaves, um, there's renewed fighting. Ahsoka and, uh, Ahsoka and Maul, um, they get into it. Maul offers Ahsoka a choice to join him. He, reveal, he reveals everything that he knows about Order 66. He, he says what's happening. Ahsoka doesn't really accept it. And they fight um, rather than rather than join forces to try and take down uh, in one last shot to take down Palpatine. So they fight. There's some scuffling. They they move out. Uh, Maul, tries to, uh, Maul tries to escape. Um, 
but he he ends up getting kind of uh, outsmarted by Ahsoka, um, and she captures him, and he is captured by uh, Republic forces. By the Republic forces, um, leaving Ahsoka to uh, to wonder, um, what if Maul was uh, what if Maul was right all along, and what if it was all ruse? And he dra- he's dragged away, screaming, "We're all going to die! This world's going to burn!" The yeah. incredible nihilistic stuff that Maul does. Uh, the fortune cookie I mean, of this be, episode. For once, he was right. Yep. The fortune cookie of this episode. Oh wait, we're not doing that anymore. Um, There's a fortune cookie shit. I will right now, Eli. remember. Anyway, um, so yeah. you know, it, it's um, we start off with Maul and um, with Maul and Ahsoka, and there's something about. Mole's, uh, like, again, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. was, ta- uh, talked about this in his infamous rant about Mole's Sisyphean nature. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He's rolling the boulder up the hill, and he, this time it looks like he's got it. And it looks like he, and it looks like he knows exactly what's up. But alas, he just doesn't. Yeah, he never quite actually knows what's up. <laughs> he never quite gets it. That's a sad truth of it. I mean, I mean, here he does. This is the one time that he actually does. To be fair, this is the one time that he is—he is more right than Ahsoka is. Yeah, but he just cannot convince her because he's Maul, yeah. and yeah. he cannot accomplish his goals. Um, and it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's almost sad. You know what I mean? It is sad. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I think this is one of the best Maul stories yet. Um. Everything he actually did on Mandalore, was it really an attempt to just lure Anakin there? And, and I think it becomes that. I wouldn't argue the whole thing, but everything actually is just him trying to remove that part of Palpatine's plan. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sad. I'm a little bit sad uh, for Maul. And I'm sad that the Maul-Ahsoka team-up never happens. Because two, uh, two kind of betrayed, rejected apprentices... Um, I don't think that would have turned out great, great for conflict. Ahsoka, honestly. I don't know. I think it would have been. I think it would have been cool to see. Um, this is definitely the closest we get to Maul um, doing the right thing. Obviously, he's a pretty evil guy. Um, yeah. I I will also say it's yeah. not for the right reasons, though. Yeah. It's not entirely. It's not for the right reasons, but it's also it's better than nothing. So. Yeah. I definitely. Um, I definitely would have liked to see that team up. Um, I don't think super long term, but as a as a short term thing, seeing them try to try to hash out their differences could have been a uh, in in you know just in pursuit of a common goal, a common enemy. Um, that that could have been interesting. Um, so yeah, but oh my gosh, yeah, this opening scene. Do you have anything? What do you have about the opening scene? It, uh, it's so good. Other other than Mole's like trying to pinpoint the seismic shift, I think the real scene that stands out in the first half of the episode for me is the conversation between Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. Yeah. Do you have anything or should we move on to that conversation? I just think, um, yeah. You know, Maul saying, I wonder if the time is upon us. The fact that he's so right, it's incredible. I love Maul talking about Sidious here. The changing balance of power. This is the tipping point, you know. 
it's such an amazing sense of 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 foreboding of inevitable destiny it's it's just incredible but yeah let's get to the uh let's get to obi-wan's take on dooku's death and everything because that to me that is a great scene what do you got for this it is beautiful and and honestly this is the best part of the siege of mandalore tragedy because you know, there's that always that sense of you, you, you wonder what you wonder about the what ifs. You wonder what if Ahsoka was given that extra time to talk with Anakin if she wasn't called aside. Could she have cooled Anakin's temper? Could she have offered him some genuine sympathy? Because it's revealed here that Obi Wan doesn't actually agree with what the Council's doing, and he's asking Ahsoka to talk to Anakin because he wants. He, he thinks she can help him in a way he can't. Um, and, of course, it never happens. And, of course, it... But, like, you know, there's there's that line from the beginning of the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Um, this is already over. Nothing can be done to change it. It's also happening right now. Right here. It's happening as you read these words. You know, there's there. It, it it has to go this certain way. It, it because that is the tragedy of it all, uh, yeah. of the beats going out this certain way, and of the sad results that we see. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um... The sense of, of, in this scene, just the sense of suspense and the unra- unraveling the mystery just too late, the looming changes, man, that, that's, it just gives me goosebumps. It's truly heartbreaking you know, how much the Jedi actually knew, but just found out too late. The fact that, and, and the fact that we know exactly where this is taking place in Revenge of the Sith, it, it, Obi-Wan, he even uses the exact same words to describe the Chancellor to describe the Chancellor's actions to both Ahsoka and Anakin. He says the Senate has allowed him to remain in power long after his term has expired. Um Yeah, it's just a, it's it's such a it's such a heartbreaking moment seeing really how close they came. You know, what if what if Ahsoka had just just been on that call a little bit longer, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it it is it is it's the it's the truly it, it, it is it is the truly um tragic part of this arc to say the least um and you know I know it's one of those things that's better left unsaid but I have to know what what Ahsoka was trying to tell Obi Wan to tell Anakin for her I, I mean, mean I mean yeah who I, doesn't it's I yeah. mean it's one of those things that's probably better left unsaid. But still, I want to know. Yeah. They got to leave some mystery for the for the next tie-in, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just yeah. And I love the fact that they have these little tie-ins with Revenge of the Sith where they have you know some of the same lines, some of the same uh same moments being portrayed in animation too. It's just so we can know exactly when it's taking place. So we we just that much more aware of exactly how our hearts are being broken. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with that. Um, and then we see um, Maul meeting with the um, the, the the Shadow Collective leaders. 
Um, by the way, did you notice the young Dryden Voss? I did notice the young Dryden Voss. That was a very cool touch. Um, Love that. But there also is a, a a little um inconsistency here in Dark Disciple. Um. Or in, in Son of Dathomir, this Shadow Collective had already disbanded. At this point, and in um, yeah, in Dark Disciple. Um, the leader of the Pikes had already been killed at this point. So there are some, not that it bothers me, I just thought it's interesting to see how they've they've kind of changed and, and revised the the story slightly. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think they probably just did it because they wanted to and didn't think about the continuity. Um, yeah. You know, the, the famous George Lucas line, continuities for wimps. Um... I can definitely see Dave having that kind of an attitude. Yeah. Um, and the entire crew, of course. Um, and uh, there is a there is a line with this. Soon the galaxy will be remade, and in the chaos we must seize what power we can. Which is interesting that Maul describes the Empire's Rise as chaotic, because I feel like it's anything but. I feel like, ironically, one of the Empire's Rise is one of the most quiet and peaceful things that have, that's ever happened in Star Wars. You know, the Republic mm -hmm. didn't go out with a bang, it went out with a whimper. Yeah. Um, this is how Liberty dies with thunderous applause, as Padme says later in Revenge of the Sith. Um... Yeah. But, uh... Should we talk about the throne room conversation between Maul and Ahsoka? Yeah. Let's get to it. Um, um, and just through all of this, you know, we're skipping over, we're glossing over, you know, the interrogation of, of Jesse, Maul's speech, but the music through all of this is just... Unforgettable. Yeah, it's absolutely unforgettable. It, it is It is 100% unforgettable um uh so a lot of my thoughts on the uh a lot of my thoughts on the um mall uh on the mall conversation with ahsoka are going to be taken from the episode i did with devore from a large view of the force um the uh, theme between themes episode we did, where we talked extensively about this. Um, first of all, I cannot not point out that Maul's always in the shadows describing Palpatine, and yeah. um, uh, and um, Leia's in the shadows always in the Rise of Skywalker describing Palpatine were probably written at around the same time. <laughs> yeah, like that's too good to be true. That's great. Um. Love that so much. Um, yeah. I mean, I love Maul and Ahsoka's talk so much. You know, Maul... Maul pulls the... To, yeah. Maul pulls the, we're, you know, we're not so different, you and me, Carl. Yeah, he pulls that. I mean, and he's not wrong. He's not He's not entirely... Uh, yeah. Maybe not doing it for exactly the right reasons, but he's not entirely wrong. Um, but, oh my gosh, just the sense of the sense of dread, foreboding, destiny, inevitability, all of it, you know. Maul really, it feels like through all of this, Maul, of all people, who who, who are not, of all people who aren't Sidious himself, 
Maul might have somehow the clearest view of just what is transpiring. Yep. Um, and and he still I doesn't mean, get it one hundred percent. Yeah, he gets like ninety percent though. Like he's he has a decent, he's on he's on the money. Yeah. Um. And there's also you know like um. I also feel like there's also um. A lot of parallels between this scene and the scene between Obi Wan and Dooku in Attack of the Clones. Oh, yeah. Where the villain tells the pro- the the antagonist tells the protagonist everything they need to know about the plot, but the protagonist doesn't believe any of it, so the movie yeah. can go on. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 Pretty much. It, it's basically the same scene. Um, and I love both of them so dearly. Um, and, you know, he does the whole classic, puts out his hand, join me a moment, we see it, various versions in episodes 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, as well as many other Star Wars things, the whole join me and together, we can make things right, we can rule the galaxy, we can blah, blah, blah. Um, by the way, um, this has, you have to be self-aware of, but, like, if I were in the post-sequel era, and I was studying galactic history, I would notice how many times people asked other people to join them, and how many (laughs) times they actually did. Yeah. Because the success rate is not like that successful. It's not, yeah. The the it it does not have a very high effectiveness. Yeah. (laughs) It does not. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's still just an incredible moment. You know, Molly's like the Republic has already fallen. You just can't see it. Like, it's yeah. I don't have too much to say, but I I can't say enough. I can't say enough uh, good things about this scene. Um, You know, with with everything that Maul is saying, it's like watching a car crash in slow motion. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's to see Maul get everything right and still Ahsoka basically ignores him with the glass shattering... um, around them is just chilling it's i mean yeah we gotta talk about the duel now let's talk about the duel lauren mary kim and ray park did the mocap for this duel this is the first ever mocap to animation duel in star wars and they kill it this feels like a live action duel yeah it's it's incredible um i think that um yeah obviously yeah you you could, I could really tell. Like I knew going into it, oh Ray Park, you know, doing the doing the mocap, bringing back that classic mall vibe. But I could really, I could immediately tell. I feel like it wasn't super obvious, but it was, it was there. Um, that there was, they had a little bit of something extra with this one, um, and it really just took this duel to the next level. It was an absolute thrill to watch. You know, when you have just the choreography, the motion, the the quality of the the animation and the the way the animation does the character movement and mechanics combined with the actual just visual visual uh, uh, quality and textures my goodness this was a sight to behold and then that final shot you know we have that we have the mall scene you know mall obviously you know one last uh shouting at everyone about how they're wrong and tinfoil hat you know we're all gonna die even though he was actually right gosh yeah it, it just that last shot you know ahsoka looking up to where Maul's ship was looking at that whole kind of representing 
that last chance to stop Sidious that she that she that she refused. Yeah, which is not really her fault because it was it, Maul. And then you look behind yeah. her, and there's just chaos and destruction everywhere. It's it's incredible. Absolutely, I also love the um uh after the post duel thing of die well Mandalorian. That oh yeah, Maul says like he's fucking cold. Maul is cold. Yeah, he is he is nuts. Um, like he and that yeah he does not care. Yeah. Also, by the way, the fact that the the whole like balance beam things, the that whole balance beam duel, and the fact that Ahsoka defeats Maul despite being disarmed and not having a lightsaber, we don't talk about that enough, and we really should. That is a yeah. goat move right there. Like she is an incredible character, and that's one of her peak moments. Yeah. The, yeah. This is where when you see Maul, kind of. This is where you see Ahsoka really. This is the the peak of her. Uh, this yeah, this feels like in many ways the culmination of much of her arc in the Clone Wars, where she is able to just she is able to to stand toe to toe with Maul and just lay it down. And at the end of it, she can even get the best of Maul, who is a literal freaking Sith Lord. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Do you have anything else? Um, no, I mean, just over my overall thoughts for this episode, I I have to say I already was a huge fan of this episode. Watching this in conjunction with Revenge of the Sith, this is peak, like, this is peak Star Wars. It it boosts the quality incredibly for me. I don't think this is peak Star Wars for me specifically, but it's undeniably very good for me. Yeah, I, I just, I can't get enough of this episode. Obviously... Um, you know, I talk about, I talk a lot about, you know, peeling back the layers and that sense that Star Wars can give you sometimes. Um, and this is, this is absolutely peak peeling back the layers for me. Just, it's like, like, like everything leading up to Order 66, it's like watching a giant wave. I already used the slow motion metaphor, but I think this one is better because what it really feels like is it's like watching a gigantic hundred foot tall wave in slow motion about to break. And order 66 is when it finally breaks. And right now it's curling over and it's so close and we're watching it and it's about to break. And we're watching every single millisecond of it slow down as it's about to break. That's what this feels like to me. And I, I, I just, I adore every single second of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I love this stuff. Um, I think that's going to be it for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Um, next week, uh, or next recording, or next episode, whenever we post it, uh, because I don't think it's going to be quite a week, um, we are going to be talking about um, another about 35 minutes of Revenge of the Sith and the Clone Wars episode Shattered. Um, in the meantime, you can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll be there. Um, if we're not, email us, fwinagalaxy at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at anagalaxypod, Instagram at Star Wars in a Galaxy. Um, leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps with our visibility. Thank you so much. Um, we announced recently that we are going to have, uh, we are going to do another trivia event with the great Jared the Dark Jedi uh, Connor Chikiti and Spencer Simpson, a Nerd Academy Civil War triple threat match. I'm writing the questions. Jacob and I are hosting. It's going to be a blast. We can't wait until we release that. 
uh, with our other episodes. Um, but in the meantime, may the force be with you. Always.